welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Ephesians. We are currently in chapter 2 and verse 4. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin by reading in verse 4 of chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we are still in the uh, second, uh, that is the first half of uh, chapter two, uh, and uh, of this book, and we have uh, outlined it before by uh, explaining that chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three fit together as a whole, and basically is what uh, some people have called the doctrinal uh, section. It, it is the instructional part of of this letter, uh, and uh, primarily it has to deal with our position with Christ, our position as a body. We are related to Him, and He is our head, and we are members of his body, um, and we are his temple on earth. That is, we reflect uh, who he is uh, while we live out our lives here on this earth, and then we are a mystery in chapter 3, and uh, that is something that that uh, God has not completely revealed, clearly at least, until the New Testament, and and uh, doesn't necessarily refer to the fact that uh, there is some sort of a riddle that has to be solved or or uh, a trick question, but rather it is something that, that God has not revealed before, but has now revealed it uh, way more clearly now that he's sent his son to this earth to die for our sins and raise from the dead. So uh, we'll get to that in uh, chapter three. And we've been talking about our new condition in Christ um, as his temple. And um, that is where we are, our condition in Christ in verses uh, 1 through 10 of uh, chapter 2 include two different ideas primarily, and that is uh, before uh, we found Christ or before Christ found us, however you want to look at it, um, we were dead in our sins. And that was basically uh, what Paul was getting at in the first three verses of chapter 2. But now, in verses 4 through 10, uh, he talks about the fact that uh, after uh, we met Christ, after we placed our faith in him, after we believed the gospel of our salvation, according to verse 13, uh, having believed in him, then God did a work. And th this is the after work. And uh, and that is the work uh, that he did uh, in us and to us and for us uh, in Christ Jesus. So uh, we're still talking about that, and uh, we're going to talk about the love of God on display in these verses that we read today. And uh, verses 8 through 10, then uh, we're going to talk about the grace of God through faith. And that will, of course, be in the next episode, uh, God willing. Now, it says, but 
God. And that, that is uh, the way verse 4 starts. And because we started reading verse 4 that way, then we need to know that, that uh, this follows Paul's thoughts about what God has revealed to us about who we were before Christ. And, uh, of course, we, it, it describes us as being dead. Now, we thought we were very much alive. We thought, perhaps even, that we were very much religious. Or maybe we thought we were, we were Christians. Or any number of things we could have evaluated about ourselves and, and come out uh, looking pretty good, maybe. And, uh, and definitely not dead. <laughs> and, uh, but but that's, that is the, the biblical understanding, spiritually speaking. We may have lived some sort of religious life through our soul or through our bodies or through our habits or, or just through a hobby. Perhaps uh, we've, we adopted uh, Christianity from our parents or from someplace else, and, and we took Christianity on as, as sort of our religion of choice for whatever reason, and maybe we just developed this hobby and uh, it became perhaps even an all-consuming hobby, but it never became actually real to us. And the Bible says that before we found Christ, we were dead. We had a past. And that's true of all those who have trusted Jesus as their Savior. We have a past. That past may not be pretty. It may not be peaceful. It may Our past may not be uh, filled with a whole lot of uh, good things. Our past may be filled with a lot of pain, a lot of agony, a lot of things that uh, we are ashamed of or embarrassed about. And uh, so the Bible doesn't gloss over our past, but rather it deals with uh, who we are now that God has found us and that he has revealed the, the gospel of our salvation to us. And having believed um, in this message, uh, then there are now changes that take place, uh, that have taken place because of our faith in Christ and because of our position in Christ. And that's what this is all about. So that when we get to verse 4, Paul wants to draw this, this elaborate contrast between who we were, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, before we came to Christ. And uh, who we were, we were dead in our transgression, and transgressions and sins, or our trespasses and sins in uh, the New American Standard translation. And it says, but God, you see, the transition here are, are, is all wrapped up in that those two words, but God. You see, uh, Paul didn't say uh, we were this way, but we did this. Uh, Paul does not say, but I did this. Or uh, he doesn't address the Ephesians by saying, you were that way, but you did this. No, he uses the transition. God stepped in. God did something. That's what changed. It's not you that have necessarily changed. You didn't change yourself. You didn't turn over a new leaf by your own willpower. This is something God did, and he did it without your permission. He, he did it without your invitation. He took initiative. He took the first steps. He was the one who instigated this whole process, and you were not it. And that's, that's why Paul starts out by saying, but God. And uh, that's where he's headed here. Uh, 
And and by the way, he doesn't he doesn't use as transition here. He doesn't say uh, you were this way, but uh, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was. And uh, that's not what he says. Uh, it, it it was it, in many regards it was worse than what we perhaps thought it was at the time, but uh, we just didn't know it. And so Paul is saying here by the by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he's basically saying, look. Spiritually speaking, you may have been alive in all sorts of other areas of your life, but spiritually you were dead because you were separated from a holy God. You were separated from him and his life and his design and his purposes for you. And because you were separated, that made you dead, spiritually speaking. But God, and that is the way verse 4 starts, and and he did something, not you. And it was because of him and his actions that he took toward us that made the difference. And it and it's rooted in God's character. See there, the very next phrase, but God being rich in mercy. That's part of God's character. That's part of his wealth. He has an abundant wealth of mercy. Mercy means that he chose to intervene uh, in such a way so that you would not experience the full uh, consequence of all of your sin. He intervened, he got in the way, and he either delayed it or, or, uh, or just uh, interfered with it so that you didn't suffer the complete consequences for your trespasses and sins. And God is wealthy in that character quality of mercy. And so since he is inexhaustible of mercy, then he took action. And that's what he wants you to know. It has to do with God's character because of his great love with which he loved us. So his character was merciful. His love was was inexhaustible in many regards, and that's what it says here, because of his great love with which he loved us. And that is the Greek word. Uh, you may recognize it if you've be, uh, been around some Christian circles as the, the uh, Greek word agape. And um, that refers not so much to romantic love or to, to um, uh, some sort of sentimental kind of uh, feelings or attachments. Uh, this has to do with the value that God has placed in you as a person, as a human being. There is a value he put in you, and that means he loved you. That means this value uh, can be measured not by money, not by uh, uh, any material wealth, but it can be measured only by personal things. In other words, by other persons. And so God sent his son. His son was another person. His son uh, took upon himself the role of being a human being so that he could demonstrate God's love to us. And that love is, is, uh, is measured in wealth by the degree by which the person of God's Son was willing to go to meet our serious and most pressing need, even though we perhaps didn't even recognize it as a need. We may not have even seen it at all. But, but uh, God saw this basic need, and what was that? We needed spiritual help 
We needed more than help, and it's not like uh, we needed assistance. We needed a complete transformation because we were dead, and uh, dead people can't help anything. Uh, and uh, and we don't. Uh, dead people do, don't need help. They need to be made alive. That's uh, and that's what uh, God did. But he did so with a process out of his character of mercy by the by the value he placed in you and me. He took action. How did he take action? Well, we find out, of course, in in other places by a very popular uh, uh, verse that's quoted and and the numbers are written in all sorts of different signs and placards and and uh, everything else. But John 3, 16, where it says, for God so loved the world he that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That was God's value. His value of you is measured by his sacrifice of his own son. He gave his son for you. He gave his only eternal son uh, for you on your behalf. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the ultimate uh, value of love. That is He saw such value in you that he gave his son to die for you, to pay the penalty phase of your sins on your behalf. He took your place as your substitute, and that shows how great God's love is for you. Well, we'll be back right after this. Speaking of God's love, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says this, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. You see, remember, the characterization of who we were spiritually before we found Christ is that we were dead. We needed something to resurrect a dead spirit, uh, one that was separated from a holy God. And that's, uh, that's, that was the love that God had for us. Motivated by his mercy, he valued you so much that he gave his son on our behalf. And so that's what it says. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. Now, this is a summation of a lot of different ideas, but he wants to summarize it this way. We were dead, and now we are made alive. And that's the work of God. God did this out of his mercy, out of his love. God did something to solve this grand dilemma, this, this uh, difficulty, this problem. This thing that we didn't even know was a thing, that uh, 
that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, and he stepped in and uh, through his mercy and his love uh, saved us. How did he save us? He made us alive in Christ when we were once dead. The The biblical word or the uh, the theological word, if you were to uh, go to uh, uh, Bible school or seminary, you would find the word regeneration. That means being made alive or uh, being brought back to life. And uh, that was done through the work of the Spirit of God on our behalf because of the work of Christ on our behalf. And he says we have been, even though we were, uh, we were dead, we've been made alive together with Christ. And there's an interesting word, this uh, idea of made alive together with Christ. Um, it, uh, the, the word has a, uh, has a, um, uh, a, a prefix in it that is similar to the word uh, synagogue. It refers to, to this togetherness, this, this gathering together. And so we, together with Christ, have now been made alive just like he was made alive through his resurrection. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. So we are now in a new union with our head, with Jesus Christ, he is in union with us, and we share in his uh, aliveness, if you want to say it that way. And uh, uh, how did that happen? That happened through the work of the Holy Spirit, by regenerating us, creating new life inside of us. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And then again, James says this, in James chapter 1, verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth. And that's that same word uh, of, of birthing us. He, he brought life into us. Uh, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we should be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So this is something that God did in his spirit and with his word. He it took them both <laughs> because they work conjointly with each other. His word and his spirit caused new life to spring up within us that matched the new life that Jesus has in his resurrection form. And uh, uh, John chapter 3, verse 3 says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke this uh, to uh, um, uh, Nicodemus, who was who was not an unreligious guy. He wasn't an atheist. He wasn't an agnostic. He was a religious man. And uh, he was a, a, a Jewish leader in many regards and uh, as a member of the Sanhedrin. And yet he told this Jewish leader that was filled with all sorts of Jewish theology and all sorts of biblical theology and biblical understanding of, of God and his work and his words. And yet he needed to be 
born again. He needed this rejuvenation by the Spirit of God. And verse 7, again in John chapter 3, verse 7 says, do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. This isn't something that should surprise you, uh, Nicodemus, and that's what Jesus is saying. And yet, Nicodemus evidently was surprised because he he didn't seem to quite get it right off the bat. And uh, and uh, yet, that is what is going on. Raised us up, uh, that is, uh, made us alive together with Christ. And then uh, my translation, the New American Standard Translation, says this, by grace you have been saved. And it puts that in a... Uh, um, uh, in a parenthesis, because uh, it, it's kind of a hint that that is where Paul is about to head uh, in his uh, thoughts uh, later on. And, and we'll cover that in the next episode, uh, verses 8, 9, and 10 of uh, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the fact that we have been saved by grace. And yet he he kind of lets this hint out uh, in the middle of his sentence right here, by grace you have been saved. This is a grace work. This is a work that God did on your behalf, uh, and he did it without consulting you one way or another, and he's, he's not demanding anything from you. This is not a deal that he makes with you. Well, if you do this and then I'll do this, uh, God isn't doing that. He gives this to you as a gift. This is his work he has done on your behalf. You receive it by faith, and it is not anything you contributed to. You receive it like a gift, and you say, thank you, Father, for what you've done for me in your son. You did something I couldn't do for myself. You paid the penalty, the full penalty, for all of my sins and all of my transgressions and um, trespasses, and uh, you took it on uh, your own son, and uh, he was my replacement uh, on my behalf. And um, so that's that's what's going on here. By grace, you have been saved. This is, this is not you making uh, contributions or you balancing out some sort of a grand scale somewhere by all your nice religious works or all your uh, uh, convenient good works. Uh, this isn't anything like that. This is a gift you received. That's the reason why it's called grace. And of course, we'll get into that uh, in verses 8 through 10, a little more in detail in our next episode. But I want to uh, cover these next phrases here in this uh, set of verses that we read for today in this episode. It says in verse 6, and uh, not only are we made alive, you see, verse 6 says, and raised us up with him. So there's still this term of this togetherness. Uh, we are with Christ in his raised sense, as at least in terms of our spirit, our spiritual life. Our bodies are still our old bodies, and uh, eventually they're going to catch up to our spirit. Uh, but right now, we have to kind of continue to live in these old carcasses until uh, uh, something else happens. But in the meantime, we live with Christ because why? Because we've been raised up with him. We are now living spiritually speaking, resurrected lives. Even though our bodies are still the same, our spirits have been rejoined with our heavenly Father. And uh, because why? Because the Holy Spirit has caused us to be alive in Him. And not only are we raised with Him, look, uh, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only 
are we changed on the inside, you might say, made alive, regenerated, brought new life into our spirit. But uh, uh, that new life in our spirit is ha- has the resurrection quality about it. And not only does it have a resurrection quality about it, it has a new location about it, and that is conjoined with Christ in the heavenly places. That's where he is. Because God raised Jesus and seated him, according to uh, chapter 1 and verse 20. That's what it said earlier uh, in chapter 1, verse 20 of Ephesians, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So, So look at what this does for us. This puts us where Jesus is already. Now, we may be uh, waiting around to get to go to heaven. Uh, well, that's, that's fine. But, uh, but at least in this passage, in these paragraphs, Paul wants us to know you're already there. This isn't something uh, uh, to await. Uh, and yes, we do await some things, and we do await the resurrection of our bodies. We do await the, the uh, reclamation of these old carcasses into resurrected bodies that, are, that will be fit for eternity. But in the meantime, our spirits are already uh, raised and seated with Christ, just like he is. Wherever Jesus is, that's where we are. As believers in him, we are where he is. And uh, uh, he is currently in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's where we are, spiritually speaking. We have been spiritually, we've been uploaded <laughs> into the cloud. And uh, yet it doesn't mean that at all. But, but it's close to uh, being a metaphor we could use. We've been uploaded already by the work of the Spirit. When did that happen? Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. The Spirit of God placed us into Christ. That's what that word baptism really does mean. And, uh, and that means the Spirit of God has, has put us into Christ, just like uh, uh, people ha- who are baptized in water are placed into the water and are brought up out of the water. The Spirit of God has placed us into Christ so that what, where Christ is, that's where we are, so that we are identified totally by the Spirit of God, by the Father of the Son, uh, and by the Son himself. We are recognized as being identified in him and in him we are already in the heavenly places and that has a purpose to it look at that in verse 7 so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus and that idea there uh, show the riches of his grace that has to do with putting on a display that means uh, God has a pavilion and he has he has a certain display or has a certain demonstration. He wants to give a demonstration uh, or an exhibition, you might say. And uh, that uh, it's kind of like going to the county fair and you go into a, a tent and someone gives you an exhibition of, a, of, uh, of, their, uh, of their science or an exhibition of their art or their, uh, any number of things, an exhibition of their, of their plant that they've grown or their, their agricultural work or, or uh, go into a different tent and you see an exhibition of the uh, uh, 
the livestock they have raised. And, and, and yet here, uh, guess what? God has his own pavilion and, and God wants to show you off. <laughs> that is, he wants to show what grace has done to a sinner who's been reborn by the Spirit of God and the Word of God and placed into Christ. He wants to demonstrate that to the rest of creation of what that looks like. And uh, that is exactly what uh, verse 7 talks about. And this is something that's going to endure. This isn't just a temporary thing. This isn't uh, uh, something that's uh, that's going to be here and gone tomorrow, uh, like the state or the county fair. This is something that will endure. This is in the ages to come. This will constantly be a reminder to all of creation, all of the universe, all of the angels, and to anybody else that's looking, that Here is what the grace of God does in a person who believes the gospel, that Jesus died for their sins, and he rose again, and he's seated in heavenly places, and that's who we are. Father, thank you for these wonderful words coming from your mercy, out of your love for us. You gave us your Son, so that you could place us into him and cause us to be united with him. And thank you that you've done that work even without us contributing a thing, just receiving it by grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.